Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This isn't Terry. I'm Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom. He is out on location today, but will be back next week and actually is going to be on location next week at Sportsman's Warehouse in Thornton. So if you're in the area and interested in seeing Terry, why don't you swing by there next weekend between 9 and 11? This week, we've got a jam-packed show. Uh, We're full with just a a great lineup of guests. We've got the normal Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Nate Zielinski will be on later. But on top of that, we've got Al Lindner, Corey Cogdell, and Chris Gilman is here. And Chris is going to start off the show. Chris is a two-time national champion walleye or championship winner on the walleye circuit. Chris, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic, Brad. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad you could make it. Now, the last championship you won was out on Devil's Lake using a technique that kind of was just getting popular at that point in time, the jigging wraps. And right now in Colorado, our lakes were getting to the the time of the summer pattern where some of the fish are moving a little deeper, the shad are starting to grow, and that technique is really effective. And so I'd love to get some more information about how you fish them, any tips or tricks, and how you can help people out using that technique. Boy, you bet. You know, it's a uh, it, if you know for the people that haven't uh, tried it, you, you, it's basically a must. You know, it, it kind of a you know the jig and ramp is is. Um, you know, it kind of makes those fish bite when they're really in a neutral mode. I've actually, um, you know, I've got underwater cameras and things of that nature. And once I graphed a, a school of walleyes, honest to God, as I was picking my camera off the off the water, there was literally like 15 feet of walleyes suspended over this big hump on Lake Michigan. And I had live red tail chubs down there. I had crawler harnesses. I tried everything and they would not bite. And I pulled out a jigging ramp and it's a reaction bite. It's, it's like, uh, you know, mother nature makes them, makes them hit the lure. So, you know, in the summertime when some of those fish aren't that aggressive or when they do set up on those humps, it's, it's really the way to go. There's, there's been a lot of, you know, it's kind of a recent technique, but there's been a lot of tournaments won on them already. And yeah, a couple of years ago at Doubles Lake, I, I, um, used a jig and wrap and, and won the National Wildlife Trail Championship. And, one ranger boat and it was, it was quite a day in my life but it it's um they're very very simple to fish um i usually use like a a suffix braid line you know which is a pretty stiff line very very sensitive it's called 832 braid that's um, exactly I, what i use too i i love it it's so strong and and you know with jigging ramps you do get snagged a lot so you know, I kind of oversize. I, I actually use like 20 pound and then I tie a little barrel swivel and then I have a, a suffix fluorocarbon leader and only about like a three foot leader. I don't think that, you know, the fish care that the leaders there, it's not a clarity thing. It just, it helps that when the jigging wrap's falling, I think it helps it from not spinning up on your line. I don't know if you do that, Brad, or not. But, yeah, uh, I do. And I tell you, I used it a lot out at Devil's Lake as well. And the reason I like the fluorocarbon leader, too, is it will help save you some money and not being bit off as much by the northern pike. I was using a 15-pound fluorocarbon leader, and it seemed like just about 
at least 80, 90% of the pipe you were able to land. You had to retie afterwards. But, you know, they aren't the cheapest lure, but I tell you what, they are incredibly effective. And if you can save a couple over the day, that is, that's a fantastic thing. Boy, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's exactly the rig I use. Um, you know, and you know they aren't real cheap lure, but if you think about it, live bait is very expensive, also. So it's it, you know you aren't spending the money on minnows and you're spending the money on leeches and things of that nature, and it it just puts more fish in the boat usually. You know. Oh yeah, um, I've so had phenomenal luck out here. You know, starting anytime about mid July on, all the way until freeze up using them. My tournament partner last fall actually out walleye fishing at pueblo caught the state record blue catfish on a jig and wrap a number seven of all things that's awesome huh that's really cool yeah it's it's a uh, it's very simple to do i don't i don't you know some people actually cast them to drop offs and and just um you know basically let the let the wrap hit bottom and kind of anticipate um you know jigging it up just as it's about to hit bottom on on the way back i usually you know just uh, put my bow mount trolling motor around and and kind of cruise at like you know 0.7 pretty slow you know 0.7 to one mile an hour and i just kind of cruise around the edges of the humps sometimes i'll go up on top of the humps but i'm kind of you know the the jigging wraps kind of at a maybe a 35 to 45 degree angle i'm kind of trolling i'm covering water and i'm popping it up very aggressively and then i kind of follow it down with my tip and most of the time you never even feel a fish bite it's just when you go to pop up again they're on there it's kind of surprising and uh they you know they they stay on pretty good they you know there's three hooks on that chicken wrap there's a center one and then there's two on each end and and you know as long as you keep uh keep tight line you know the fish usually don't get off so but i don't there's a lot of different ways to fish them and there's a ton of different colors and but i i guarantee you it's simple and and you really can't fish them wrong yeah now when you're fishing it do you let it hit the bottom i know when i'm in a situation where it's not a real snaggy bottom i've found that actually letting it hit the bottom i don't know if it's the silt it stirs up or what it is sometimes that can really help trigger additional bites and and when I've fished vertical, sometimes that even means leaving it sit on the bottom for five or ten seconds before you jig it the next time, and that that will increase your number of bites. You know, as weird as it sounds, I I do agree with you, and I, I think I think there's something to be said about that ice fishing also, where you know you you know pop in the bottom and and creating a cloud of dust or a cloud of mud, it it, it actually helps. Um, I would say that you know most of the time. You know, I'm fishing those rocky areas, and and I let it hit like every fourth or fifth. You know, I, I always want to make sure I'm close to bottom, so I always let it hit once in a while just to make sure I'm down there. But I, I guess I wouldn't say it's mandatory, but I, I do agree it it could create more strikes. I do know a lot of times, you know, if you hold it just off the bottom, you know that that lure you would think it would be perfectly slow. Or still, but it isn't. It actually spins a lot of time. Sometimes you can pause, and just like ice fishing, if if you know one's looking at it because you can see it on your locator, you know that jigging up motion, just jigging up and then stop. And usually when you stop, it's all over. They just can't resist. Yeah, it's you know? it's phenomenal. The one thing I will say, when when you are fishing it on a braided line versus say a monofilament, you do need to have a little bit more limber rod and maybe set your drag a little bit lighter. The the hooks are are a bit on the small side, and you don't want to pull them out. And where that seems to come into a play is close to the boat, 
when that fish makes that last run. So I do a lot of back reeling. I know certain people don't, but you may want to lighten that drag up just a little bit versus the monofilament. You know, if you hear Al Lindner talk about it, he really professes using monofilament. And that, that comes into play when you're up close to the boat and you have that added stretch. So if you are going to use the, the suffix 832, just use a rod that's got maybe a little bit lighter action and also lighten that drag up just a little bit. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. You know, I I usually, you know, I don't know what, what you prefer, you know, and, you know, I usually use a six foot three rod, you know, I mean, six foot, six, six would be just fine. Um, my rods are a little shorter on my jigging rods. Um, I do use like the seven footers and a longer rod for casting crankbaits and things of that nature. But yeah, I've, I'm using a medium light, you know, it's a extra fast action, medium light rod, just, you know, your standard jigging rod, nothing, nothing fancy, but that that's great advice, Brad. I, I totally agree with you. You know, a little little lighter jig is a good idea. Yeah, and and then you were talking about casting crankbaits, and when we talked earlier this week, you were talking that you've started using another new line that you really like because it seems to get some added casting distance and seems to work pretty well. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, you know, and, and actually, you know, for the Colorado crowd, I mean, the trout fishermen, I know most people are fly fishermen out there, but um, if you do fish trout with a spinning rod or panfish or bluegills or, or anything, uh, I actually, um, this year, I got kind of introduced to the Suffolk Nano Grade, and it's super, super, super soft and thin line. And what happens, like if you're fishing in a real windy situation, you know, the wind actually pushes against your line and and it gets really hard to keep your jig even in the water and feel that bottom with, with real thick lines. So the suffix nano braid, it'll cast a mile, you know, and it, so it's got really a long, long cast because it's so super, super thin and the wind doesn't affect it as much. And, and, you know, so like actually, uh, I just fished a tournament in, North Dakota on Lake Sakakawea and uh man I caught every fish on nano braid. I was jigging with it and I just absolutely fell in love with it. I usually use the white I know people have different opinions. When I'm jigging in dirtier water I like a, a bright, a fluorescent line. Or, I, I, or I completely agree with you. Yeah. You, you know, you want to see your bites. You want to see when your lure hits the bottom. Sometimes those fish will actually bite coming forward and you want to see your line go limp. Um, you know, so I like you know, I'm I'm kind of a line watcher, if you will, and uh, you know, but that nano braid, boy, you know, I even I do a little trout fishing on some small streams in Wisconsin, and you know, you can cast a, a two inch countdown Rapala a mile if you're you know brown trout fishing, and um, you know, it's just really really good line. I think if the problem with it is if you spool one one reel up with it, you're going to end up spooling quite a few of them up with it. Yeah, that's it's that, just great. You know? Yeah, that's very true. I've actually used it a lot for pan fishing, particularly crappie fishing in the trees, because oh, you're able to pull the fish out of the trees. If you do get hung up in in the wood, you're able to pull that out. And you usually straighten your hook out, and you don't end up having to retie all the time. It's a phenomenal line, and like you say, I've used the white. Because as as you're dropping a one thirty second ounce jig next to those bushes or trees, you're able to see that line just pop and set the hook. And I've fished with people, you know, my dad and other friends who've sat there and looked at me going, how are you catching those fish? Are you feeling the bite? I'm like, no, I'm just seeing the line move. And as soon as I do that, I set the hook because I don't want that fish to turn and get back into that wood where you might lose them. So I'm setting the hook, and that's able to pull a, 
pull them out. And what I've done to kind of compensate with that is go with a little bit longer, almost like a noodle rod. And so it gives sure. me a little bit of the the added um, stretch of the rod or the bend in the rod so you don't pull the hook out of the crappie, but you get the benefit of all the line. It, I think it's a phenomenal line to use. It really is, and I, I I totally agree. I think you know I you know Rapala or Suffolk, I'm sorry, doesn't they don't call it white. It's like I think they call it um, ghost, or they call it like uh, oh, there's another name they use for it. But basically, they've got a low vis green, low vis green, and then a a whiter line. I I don't know. Yeah, I that's the exact name of it when you look it up. But yep. So well, Chris, I tell you what. We are getting to the end of the segment, but I really appreciate the help and information that you've shared with the listeners here. And hopefully we can get out fishing. I'm going to be up there in your neck of the woods kind of the end of the month for a little bit of time, and maybe we'll be able to get out and wet a line together. Yeah, I know. You're coming up. You might fish Leech Lake. i got a report. Actually, a friend of mine that I work with um, caught a, a limit last weekend with jigging wraps on Leech Lake in like 11 to 17 feet of water. and. They caught them quick, so that's good. That's a good report for you, Brad. And I can't wait till you get to Minnesota, and and uh, certainly wish you and your listeners the best. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Chris. That's Chris Gilman, and we will be back shortly on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Welcome back this morning. I'm Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom. Terry is on assignment this weekend. And let's head right back to the phones. We've got Andrew Maddox with Arkansas Headwater Recreation Area. And this is a phenomenal location. want to welcome you, Andrew. Hi, Brad. So tell us a little bit about your your recreation area down there, I know uh, we talked about it on the phone, and it's an area that I've done a little bit of rafting on, and I think that's what you want to talk about. But let's give the the listeners just some general information about the the Headwaters Recreation Area there. Yeah, absolutely. So so we are a recre- recreation area we're, uh, that's managed uh, through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So we're one of the 42 state parks here in Colorado. Um, we're pretty unique because we, uh, we stretch 152 miles. So we manage wow. all the recreation on the Arkansas River from just, uh, just south of Leadville clear down to Pueblo Reservoir. So that's, that's phenomenal that we've got that opportunity there in this state. And I know that this area is considered one of the nation's premier areas for whitewater rafting. I've got friends that come from all over the country, Minnesota, Virginia, to to raft this area. And you were saying earlier this week that the flows are just getting to be phenomenal for the opportunities down there. Why don't you tell us a little more? Yeah, absolutely. So um, within that 152 miles, we've got a little bit of something for everybody. And uh, so we've got... um, sections of a river that are um class five and super fun exhilarating um and uh kind of on the extreme end of, of rafting and that's what some people are looking for is that big thrill um we've got mellower sections that are the good class three four sections that are a little more uh more for the the general public i guess i think know? that's more people, my speed 
Yeah, exactly. And uh and and we float through great sections. Um we have Browns Canyon National Monument and uh there's uh an eleven mile float through Browns Canyon that's class three and just phenomenal at these levels. Um and so we've come out of our peak runoff this year and moved into our medium flows, which really opens things up. When we're in peak runoff, it's kind of tough to fish. Um, some folks are still out there doing it, but uh, but once uh, we get past runoff, the water clears up. And so now it's great for rafting, great for fishing. Um, the weather's been awesome around here. And uh, and so people are just having a really good time just doing whatever they whatever they like to do on the river, you know. Yeah, one question I've got, you know, we've been seeing here on the news, Breckenridge and a lot of the areas are starting to have some fires and they're starting to place some fire restrictions. I know you you mentioned that you do have six campground areas there. Have, are there any fire restrictions out in that area right now? So our campgrounds are in um, our, our upper campgrounds. We, we always call it upstream and downstream, but uh, the upper end of the, of the recreation area is mostly within uh, and all of our campgrounds are in Chaffee County on the upper end. And then the lower end is in, in Fremont County. And right now we're not in a fire restriction yet, but, um, but it is close. Um, you know, things are, we're, we're waiting for it to happen any minute now. Um, but with, with, when we go into our first stage of, of fire ban, um, we still allow, um, campfires within our established campgrounds. So that's kind of a, a benefit. It's kind of nice that, um, um, because we have those fire rings and they're on a, a concrete pad that we can still usually have fires. They may jump to a, a stage two fire ban, which would then outlaw any open burning. But but right now, um, no fire bans. And so, folks, um, as long as we're careful, we can keep having campfires. Well, that sounds great. Now, if someone's interested in heading over your way, where's the best place to get some information, uh, get in contact with you to find more out about maybe about the fire bans, about the flows, uh, you know, and maybe even get some help on knowing uh, people to contact to do some rafting. Absolutely. So um, the the best place to just start out is going to be um, our website, the main website, cpw.state.co.us. Um, and you can go down and off that main page, there's a select your park. And we're uh, lucky enough for the top park alphabetically and so you can go to our actual arkansas headwaters recreation area page and there's loads of information on there um current up-to-date stuff um about um flows and fire bands and what's going on and any programs we have um those sort of things and um you can also like our facebook page and uh we try to keep that as up-to-date as possible all right andrew well i appreciate the information and hopefully we'll get some people over there i know I haven't been rafting over there in quite a few years, and after talking to you, it may be something I need to look at doing here later this summer. Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, right around 50 commercial outfitters on the river here, and so there's there's going to be somebody going where you want to go, and, and so that's a great way to get out on the water is to, to find one of our commercial outfitters that's got a trip going where you want to go. All right. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thank you, Brad. Have a good day. Let's go right back to the phone, and we're going to talk to Ray Reeves with Adventure Camper. And I think this myth matches right up with what you like doing, Ray. You know, great area to go over there and camp. You've got uh, campers there for rentals, still a few available. Yeah, uh, we do. Uh, if I, I would say, though, that if you're uh, still planning on renting for this summer, you need to call us right away and 
check availability and get a reservation in, even if you're not planning on going until August. We, uh, but we do still have some availability, especially on pop-ups throughout July and into August. And uh, so, yeah, if you're still trying to get in a trip for the summer or two, uh, give us a call. We'll sure be glad to help you. Yeah, I mean, that area over there in the Arkansas River is just a great area. You get the added elevation. It's a little bit cooler here in the hot summer months. Mm-hmm. A lot of great water recreation, whether you're out fishing, rafting, tubing, you know, whatever it is. That's a great place to go over and take a look at. And besides rentals, you also carry a few items for sale that someone, if they're looking that direction, could go buy and then take over there and enjoy that the Arkansas area. You bet. In between uh in particular we carry the real light line of ultralight travel trailers. They're all seventeen footers and right around three thousand pounds. So they're small enough you can get into some of those um back area, backwoods sorts of campsites, uh dispersed campsites. And these are all with off road packages, lift kits to give you extra clearance and extra large 28 inch off-road tires for extra clearance so yeah we've we've got some products that your customers may enjoy getting out in the woods with well and that off-road clearance makes it really versatile if you want to get off the beaten path you know maybe use it for a hunting uh camp or you yeah. know a little bit of the backwater angling or, or just to get away from the crowds a bit get away from the crowds a bit and i i love our state park system it's some of the best campgrounds in the state i think but uh if if you want to get off the beaten path a little bit more the real light brand uh, helps to do that so there and we've got at this time of year we've got good sales going on any of our uh, retail inventory both from sonoma viking and real light so it's a good time to get a good deal on a camper if you still need one for the summer all right if someone's interested how do they contact you um, we're at adventurecamper.com is our website. Uh, we're located near Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road down in Centennial. So if you want to come by today, we're here until 4 uh, and open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. All right. Thanks a lot, Ray, and have, hope you have a good weekend. Have a good one. Thank you. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Welcome back. I'm Brad Peterson, filling in for Terry. And Terry mentioned Sportsman's Warehouse. Next week, Terry will be back and on location at the Thornton Sportsman's Warehouse. So if you're interested, swing on by. The show will be from 9 to 11. I'm sure Terry will stick around there a little bit afterwards to meet and greet people. Now let's go right back to someone from Chatfield Reservoir State Park, and he's going to talk a little bit about, we just got done talking about whitewater rafting, kind of the swift water recreation activities. And Chris Wallers with Chatfield wants to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities you've got for enjoying the flat water we've got right here in the metro area. Yeah, that's exactly right. And good morning to you. Good morning, Chris. Yeah, so Andrew and I have known each other for a long, long time, and we've done a lot of river rafting as well. Um, But as I've been around the state and and fished and and hunted and and done a lot of boating, I've realized that a lot of people, whitewater may not be for them. They may be looking for something a a little bit tamer. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I, I wanted to remind everybody, too, that there's a lot of reservoirs within state parks and even outside of state parks they offer really, really good paddle opportunities, you know, an opportunity to take or maybe even rent your canoe 
uh, sea kayaks, stand-up paddleboard, and things like that. And it's uh, it's another pretty good way to enjoy it, get some exercise, and, and do a little fishing, too. Yeah, those paddleboards have really become popular over the last few years. I, I still remember one time I was camping up north. Uh, it's actually a stagecoach reservoir. And early in the morning, I launched my canoe, and I was fishing for pike. And um, I was actually ended up fishing next to a guy on a stand-up paddleboard. And we... I don't. I, we didn't do very well fishing that day, but we both had a really good time and some good conversation out there on the water. Yeah, and like you say, it's great for exercise and also great for the opportunity to, you know, there are people that are using them for fishing. Just a, a fun way to get out there, enjoy the outdoors during some of these hot days we're going to have coming up. <laughs> I don't know about coming up, but I think they're they're very much here, at least from the last few days that I've worked. But, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. They're a little bit more affordable. You can get them in places where you may not be able to get a power boat, um, able to sneak up on the fish a little bit better with using a paddle instead of a motor. It's, it's, a, it's a good opportunity. It's a good way to do business. Right. Now, if someone's going to come out to Chatfield and maybe wants to try, you know, fishing out of a kayak or using the paddleboard, are there certain areas you'd recommend maybe they go to and, and you know, use as kind of their place to launch? I know certain areas get a lot of boat traffic. And those might not be quite as conducive. Right. The entire lake and the, the ponds are open to paddlecraft, but really uh, launching one in a power zone, it can be pretty tight. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of boats. There's a lot of tubers and water skiers and jet skiers in the power zone, and it doesn't make a real great opportunity for paddlecraft. What I recommend is for people to go towards the south end of the reservoir, more along the inlet of the, uh, the Platte River or around Plum Creek. Um, both of those areas are, are wakeless areas. Uh, you'll have to carry your boat just a little ways to hand launch it, but it's not too terribly far. And they, they offer some, some pretty good fishing. There's some pretty good structure down there, but it's you, you'll have a little bit more room to yourself. Well, that that's great. Speaking of fishing, have you had any recent reports? I know I've been seeing stuff from Nate, and he'll probably be filling us in here soon about the fishing, that the bite has been pretty good, but anything recently? That's what That's why I called in. I thought I was hoping you were going to tell me. Um, no, there's a little bit. You know, there's there's still some trout biting, especially around the ponds in that southern area that I talked about. Um, I've worked here off and on for a long, long time, and it always seems like it comes down to salmon eggs and a bright power bait. You know, it it, it just seems like those the trout can't get enough of those. Those um, are definitely the go-to for for trout in a lot of the area lakes and reservoirs that are getting the stalkers. Have you heard anything about some of the warm water species, maybe walleye or the smallmouth bass? Walleye are doing the best that we've heard at night, um, jigging with some uh, some live bait imitations, like uh, the crawfish imitation, um, jigging with worms, things like that, usually around the old uh, roadbed. Uh, so if you draw a line straight across the lake from Eagle Cove or so, straight to the campground, right along in that area. The bass are doing pretty fair, uh, slowing down a little bit. Um, a green, uh, some of the go-tos I've seen are green panther martins, uh, some of the bass poppers, and, and again, even some some worms are working pretty those yeah and i know one of our mutual friends clark baker who used to work out there for a long time clark would go out in his float tube and fish chatfield all the time along the rocks with just a really small jig almost a panfish size jig and an ultralight and catch tons of smallmouth and smallmouth up to 17 18 inches along with you know you're able to mix in trout uh, panfish and right in that north boat cove is a is an area that doesn't get uh, a high amount of there's boat traffic but it's a no wake area so you're able to fish in there and 
it's a great way to get out just even for a couple hours. doesn't take as much time as going through the ANS inspections and all of that. Sure. And I tell you what, Chatfield's one of my favorite lakes. I grew up down in the Littleton area. It it was my home lake. So I have a real soft spot for that. Well, good, good. Yeah, we, we fill a pretty good niche down here in the, the southwest Denver area. Um, you know, a lot of people, they love to get outside. They love to fish. They love to boat. And uh, being so close to the metro area, we're we'll able to accommodate it. Uh, it's, it's certainly busy, so I always encourage people to come maybe during off times, early in the morning, later in the evenings, uh, on the weekdays if they're able to instead of the weekends. They're welcome anytime, but they'll, they'll have a little bit more room if they come during the off times. Well, if someone is not familiar with Chatfield, how do they get there uh, to get out there maybe, you know, during the week coming up? So again, we're in the southwest corner of the Denver metro area. We're in Littleton. If you take 470 around and then go south on Wadsworth, we are the second traffic light that'll take you right inside the park. Well, fantastic, Chris. I appreciate you calling in and giving us all this information on another one of the tremendous state parks that Colorado has to offer. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks. We will be back in just a minute with a two-time Olympic bronze medalist shooter, trap shooter, Corey Cogdell. Stick around. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. This is Brad Peterson filling in for Terry this weekend. And we are lucky to have a special guest online here. She's a two-time Olympic bronze medal trap shooter and also a world record holder on the qualifying round, shooting a perfect 75 out of 75. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about yourself? It's going great. It's a beautiful day in Colorado, so I can't complain. Yes, I appreciate you taking your time out. Corey's actually down in Colorado Springs right now uh, practicing for nationals that's coming up next week. That's right. Yeah, we have our uh, national championships kicking off tomorrow, actually. And uh, we're going to be competing in uh, International Trap, which is my event. And then we'll also have International Skeet uh, later on this week as well. Now, what makes International Trap different than your normal trap? Um, well, basically, it's a lot faster targets, and uh, they fly at a lot uh, harder angles left to right, and then they also vary in height from about three feet off the ground to 15 feet, um, so considerably different than the trap that you find at your local gun club. Um, well, you'll find that your local gun club flies about 40 miles an hour, and international trap, the targets fly 60 to 80 miles an hour, so quite a bit different. Yeah, and that's why whenever I get out hunting with Corey, when those birds are flying about 45 yards out there just passing by, uh, we just say, Corey, these are yours. Because <laughs> the guys that we normally hunt with, if we take the shot, we might as well just be taking the shell and throwing it in the lake because we don't stand a chance. <laughs> and she hits them about every time. Well, I do get a little bit more practice than you guys. So. <laughs> uh, maybe ten or 20,000 extra rounds. <laughs> that's right. So, Corey, this is the time of year that people are starting to maybe make a little bit of a transition from fishing to hunting or starting to think about hunting season again. And maybe there's they've let a little dust collect on their shotgun <laughs> and want to get back out and do a little bit of shooting. What tips can you give 
our listeners or someone that's maybe new to shooting a shotgun, you know, they've been out rifle hunting or archery hunting, shooting a shotgun at a moving target's a little different. So what advice do you give someone to maybe improve their hunting skill or their shooting skills? Well, there's um, a couple things. Um, I definitely like to start with gun fit. Gun fit is extremely important, especially when we're talking about shotgun shooting. So on a shotgun, your eye is the back sight. So it's really important that your eye is lining up down the rib with that front bead, um, and that uh, is going to control where your gun shoots essentially. So if you're not lined up correctly, um, you could be making a really good shot, and you could be shooting high, low, left, or right. Um, so the first piece of that is making sure that your gun fits. Um, moving forward, I would say the next uh, most important piece for those guys that, you know, maybe are uh, rifle shooters or haven't picked up the gun in, in a long time is making sure that, you know, you're pointing the shotgun versus aiming it. This is a really, really common thing um, that I see with a lot of, um, you know, people that don't shoot a whole lot or they shoot um, rifle um, preparing for, you know, some of their big game hunts and then just pick up their shotgun to go um, hunt, hunt some doves is a lot of people end up trying to aim the shotgun like you would a rifle, um, trying to line up the target, um, point at the target, um, lining up your bead and kind of placing that shot. Um, with a shotgun, everything is really instinctual, especially on a moving target. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, keeping your eye glued on uh, that moving target. And I find it really helpful, too, to kind of pick a, a point either on the target um, or if you're bird hunting, you know, looking at the head. And that's going to really narrow in and zone in your focus and help you to keep your eye on the target and not letting it drop back to the barrel. Yeah, I know that's important. I, a lot of times I notice if I start missing birds, it's because I'm starting to think too much. And whether it's aiming or as I'm swinging through, I'm thinking about is this enough of a lead or not enough of a lead. Any time for me that I start to think too much when I'm out shooting a shotgun, it never <laughs> seems to have good results. Yeah, absolutely. It's bad news when you start overthinking everything. You know, I always just um, try and remind myself that where your eyes go, the gun is going to follow. So making sure that you're always keeping your eyes glued to that target is going to help a lot of those small problems that will pop up, especially when you have, you know, a long time to think about a shot. You know, when you see that dove or duck coming in from a long ways away and you're all pumped up to make the shot, <clears throat> the more time you have sometimes, um, trying to make that lead perfect, um, you know, it's it's not beneficial. So making sure you just keep your eye, you know, glued on that target the whole time is going to be helpful. Yeah, I, I know that thinking can get to you. The, one of the few times I've seen Corey miss is when a duck comes in and hovers right over top of the decoys. <laughs> and she doesn't need to swing. She She doesn't need to do anything. But she thinks too much about it, and she'll end up missing that shot. The, <laughs> the right. 50 yards out going 60 target. miles an hour, it's done for. <laughs> That's right. Those easy targets get me all the time. I overthink it and think, oh, man, this is the one that I shouldn't miss. And sure enough, that's the one I always miss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, on top of that, you were talking about fit. Is there what is someone looking for in fit of a shotgun? And if a gun doesn't fit them, you know, maybe it's one that they've already bought or it's been passed down through the family. So they want to keep the gun. How do yeah. they kind of mm -hmm. adjust that when you're out? And then if if they don't have a gun, what are they looking for when they go out shopping to make sure the fit is right for them? 
Absolutely. So if you already own a gun, like you said, maybe you've got one that's been passed down. Um, an easy way for you to see if it fits you is um, with the gun unloaded and the action open if you're uh, shooting like a semi-auto, um, mount the gun and point it looking into a mirror. You should be able to see down the rib and see where um, that bead is lining up with your eye. So it should line up where it's uh, the top of that bead is right at the bottom of your pupil and it should be right in the center. So uh, if it lines up like that, that means the gun's going to probably shoot about 60% high, 40% low. And that's exactly where you want it for really any bird hunting you're doing or clay shooting um, in general. Now, if it's um, a little low, an easy fix for that is you can go to, to your local drugstore and you can buy a product called Moleskin. Um, it's a really nice, soft, pliable material, and you can build up that uh, stock a little bit um, and put one nice piece over a moleskin. It won't be abrasive on your face or anything like that, and that'll help you easily um, raise the comb, and you can even uh, adjust that comb a little bit left to right, um, building up that moleskin so that it fits you better. Now, if the gun's too high, unfortunately, you're going to have to probably take it to a gunsmith and they can, um, you know, sand down some of that wood um, and then put a nice new um, finish on it, and you should be good, good to go. Um, but once again, gun fit's really important, so taking the time to, you know, figure out if a gun fits you is going to make your time out in the field so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I know my dad shoots a gun that he likes to actually have a, a stock that's a little bit longer. Um, we're both tall guys, and so if he doesn't have that that added inch and a half on his stock, it just throws him completely off. So gun fit is something very important to look at. Now, if someone, you know, once they've got their uh, a gun that fits them and they want to go out and practice, let's say they're going to go out to a, a sporting clay range, maybe Colorado clays, yeah, and they're going to go out and shoot some of of the rounds and usually it's a 10 station setup. I, I know I always have certain stations that really get to me. And, and one is that long passing shot. What are some suggestions you can give to someone that's going out there to kind of, you know, work on some of their skills and how to improve on their weaknesses? Well, I always like to, uh, especially with those long passing shots, I have, I have to remind myself all the time because I, I actually don't shoot a ton of sporting clays. Um, but it's a little bit like we were talking about earlier. The longer you have uh, to, to try and measure that lead and measure that target, um, the more trouble you run into. So especially on a long passing shot, um, it's better to start with a low gun and uh, call for the target. And as that target is coming into your shooting window, that's when you want to mount your gun and make that really nice, smooth, natural move to the target. If you're starting your gun mounted and you've got, you know, say, five or eight seconds watching a target, tracking it, waiting for it to come into the window that you're going to be shooting, um, you know, you're going to run into problems. So especially with sporting clays, there's always a point that you should look uh, for the target, and then there's also a break point for the target. So you don't want to track the target for too long before it comes into, into that break point. And that's the best, the biggest thing that I've found that's helped me with sporting clays, even though I don't shoot it a ton. Yeah, and for me, I know I usually shoot sporting clays as a way to kind of 
warm up, get back to swinging for hunting season. And I prefer to have my gun down on every station and bring it up. It simulates more of the hunting type situation for me. And that's my goal. If, if I shoot, maybe I hit four or five less targets. It's not that big a deal because again, I'm just shooting sporting clays for fun. And then also to try and, and get ready for hunting season. Absolutely. And most of the time, you know, during hunting season, you're not going to have a really long time to track the bird. I mean, if you're hunting out of a blind, you're not going to pop up well before the, you know, the bird comes into range and track it for a really long time. Um, So practicing that snap shooting, um, you know, like you're talking about is really great practice for hunting. Now, one last question, Corey. There are kind of two schools of thought when it comes to shooting a shotgun. One is the constant lead, get out in front of the bird, hold that steady lead, and just keep swinging when you pull the trigger. The other is kind of the the swing through. You start behind the bird, you swing faster than, than the target. When you hit the target, you pull the trigger and you keep accelerating through. As someone who has shot hundreds of thousands of rounds and won numerous competitions, uh, like we said, you know, a two-time Olympic bronze medalist. What is the technique that you use? Well, being a trap shooter, um, I shoot a lot of that pass-through lead, coming from behind the target, passing through it, and as I touch the front edge of the target, I'm pulling the trigger. Um, You know, that transfers over into when I go hunting as well. That's the, the sight picture and style that I'm accustomed to. So generally speaking, I'm shooting a lot of pass through, um, pass through shots. Um, that's not to say that a sustained lead, um, is any less successful than a pass through. It's just more what you learned, what you're accustomed to and what you practice the most. Um, you know, if, if you're, uh, more of a skeet shooter, um, most of the skeet shooters that I train with, they all shoot sustained lead. Um, so it's just, like you said, a little bit of a different school of thought, but neither one is necessarily better than the other. It's more what you're more accustomed to and, you know, what you practice the most and what you're the most um, comfortable with. All right, Corey. Well, I appreciate your time. And uh, we may have to look at each summer Colorado Clays does a cast and blast competition. <laughs> where, where you go out fishing in the morning and get points for the fish, and then uh, you go out and shoot sporting clays in the afternoon. And maybe that's something we need to look at doing this coming summer. That sounds like a blast. You can count me in. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, Corey, good luck down there at the Nationals, and we hope you uh, you do fantastic and win it again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. That was Corey Cogdell. And this is Brad Peterson filling in for Terry Wickstrom on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.